Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Greetings and welcome to Under Consultation, a podcast guide through the UK video game shows that aired in the aftermath of Games Master. I am one of your hosts, Luke Owen, a whole different sack of swords. And fairly certain I'm a certified fumbling brainless idiot. I am Ash Versus. This episode of Ultimate Gamer aired on either the 30th or 31st of December 2003, but either way, Need for Speed Underground is top of the video game charts. Michael Andrews and Gary Jules are the Christmas number one with their cover of Tears for Fears' Mad World, and Lord of the Rings completes its trilogy at the top of the box office with Return of the King. The eye of the enemy is moving. The end has come. Frodo moves closer to Mordor. How do we know Frodo is alive? What does your heart tell you? Come, Master! Come to Smeagol! This is your test. Every path you have trod through wilderness, through war led to this road. The enemy will never let Aragorn come to the throne of Gondor. It is time. Give him the sword of the king. Become who you were born to be. The precious Finally, a decent Christmas number one that actually has nothing to do with Christmas. And had a bit of a weird journey to get to number one because, of course... This cover of Mad World came to popularity because of uh, the film Donnie Darko. That's how I think everyone heard this song. Was the Donnie Darko was a was a, 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 a cult hit, an underground hit, and off the back of that, the the song got gained a lot of popularity because of the movie. 
Yeah, because it was a 2001 film. The soundtrack was released in 2002. And then in, I'm pretty certain it was on DVD in 2003 because I owned it. It had been the DVD release. It, it, I would wager that's where everyone saw the movie was when it hit uh, hit the home market. I'm, I'm going to be that guy, the proto-hipster, and say I am 90% certain that I saw Donnie Darko in the cinema. I would not have done, but come the home market release of it, slightly different kettle of fish, because I watched this movie for my media A-levels that I was doing, or might have been GCSEs. Either way, I did a piece on the study of time travel in movies and Donnie Darko was sort of my case study uh, and then I also used uh, I believe I used Terminator and Bill and Ted as my other two reference points that, that's a real spectrum of time travel it's like hmm okay small indie movie California stoner type rocker dudes end of human civilization yeah i would wager i pitched it because i wanted to write something about the terminator but had to use a current movie as my basis point which is why i ended up using donnie darko i think as well part of my it was in fact i know because it was the first time i'd seen it it's a wonderful life uh was also part of my uh case studies i think yeah i can see that making sense because it's amazing how many people forget that time travel really is an important aspect of It's a Wonderful Life. Yeah. When you list all the great time travel movies, no one mentions It's a Wonderful Life, which neatly ties us back to Christmas. It does indeed, yes, because this was I was really pulling for this to be Christmas number one. I loved this song. I did buy Gary Jules' album off the back of this, like I think a lot of people did, only to find out that it was pretty butt. Uh, but this song, right at the end, is actually great uh and i mean i love the original as well um it's kind of a little bit johnny cash's hurt in a way of i don't think i can pick which one of the two i prefer do i prefer the original or it's more somber cover but i do think the more somber cover of mad world is very uh, evocative and very reflective of the lyrical content of mad world whereas the tears for fears version is very 80s synth pop and it's almost counter, and it, it, on purposefully so, very counter to the, the lyrical content. I quite like Tears for Fears. Mad World is not, like, of their big hits, is not my favourite song. I'm always a everybody-wants-to-rule-the-world kind of guy. I love the refrain, I love the chorus. This one it, I just kind of zone out on, but the cover, really, really love it. Its usage doesn't stop with Donnie Darko, though, because, tying back into video games, this was used in a commercial for upcoming Xbox hit... Gears of War. That's right, it was. Now, I get to be the one who sounds like the uh, the hipster here, in that I have never seen The Lord of the Rings Return of the King. But you've seen The Fellowship. Yes, I've seen that one, and I've seen... And I have seen Two Towers, because I had to go to the picture to see that, but I did fall asleep uh, during The Two Towers, and I don't think I've seen it since. I've seen the ending of Return of the King, because I'm uni friends of mine were watching it and i walked through the room as they were going through the the endings but i've actually never seen the movie as a whole piece now see that kind of knackers my plan for this discussion because i think me and you are slightly different on films film length for the most part doesn't bother me i know film length does bother you it's not so much film like I, I, particularly at this time wouldn't have bothered me in the slightest it's it's now where i have less time on my hands when my evenings are i'm 
home at half past seven and I've got to be up at 6am the following morning or half five the following morning. I've, I've got a very small window of time after I've done the bedtime routine with the kids to sit down before I then have to go to bed before I have to get up again. So I can't do a three hour movie. There's not enough time in my evening before I have to go to bed. That's where time length comes. That, that's where film length becomes an issue for me. It's only in my later years it's become an issue for me. So basically you become grumpy. Gr- grumpy, lack of time is more or less what it boils down to. I love the Lord of the Rings trilogy. I think they're absolutely great in either their theatrical form or their extended edition. Yeah, it's a major commitment of time. But having seen so many books adapted for screen that have just absolutely biffed it, it is refreshing and still a high watermark for transferring book to film and making changes to have it better fit the cinematic narrative versus the written narrative. Uh, There were people that always complained that certain things were cut, certain things were moved around. There were things from the two towers that were put in Return of the King and it it was just done to make it flow better and also even it all out. But it resulted in a film that capped off a trilogy that I believe made more at the box office than the original Star Wars trilogy. Well, that must be true. Just given, just just with the different time frames, that has to be true. No, but you also got to remember the Star Wars trilogy released a number of times as well because it had a head start. Yes, but I think box office is very different seventy seven, eighty, and eighty three than it is early two thousands. So it's a very different game, I think, at that point. Even with re releases. Either way, Return of the King on its own did over a billion at the box office. One point one four seven billion dollars worldwide that's including a number of additional re-releases and about my only really about my only real criticism of the film is the ending which to me is like the song american pie not the madonna cover don mclean's american pie and you know you think it's got to the end of the song and then there's a little bit more and you think oh this is the end of the song and there's a little bit more And Return of the King is the same, and I get it. You've got this large cast of characters that you do after, like, I don't know, what, 12 hours over the three films or whatever it was. You want to say a proper goodbye to. But there is just this slight feeling of, are we there yet? Are we there yet? It's not that I'm bored. I just need the loo. Are we there yet? So that's been my only gripe in that I just felt that uh, there were so many goodbyes to be said at the end that it just kind of... it, it. dragged although better than what we would get nowadays where all those scenes would be mid-credit sequences yeah yeah i suppose in a way like i for the lord of the rings for me is i i never read the books um uh as a child or as an adult so i've got no like nostalgic attachment to them uh anyway uh fantasy i run a bit hot and cold on sometimes i really like it sometimes it's it's not really for me lord of the rings it's a technical marvel and i think the the practical effects stuff i think is spectacular it's undeniably beautiful and it's incredibly well shot and the performances are very very good and i very much appreciate what they accomplished is just it's not my bag baby and but my i i i kind of liken myself to to randall uh in a lot of this uh which is that the second movie features so much walking that the fucking trees walk in that film um and there's only one return and it ain't of the king it's of the jedi that that 
sort of uh, thing. I, I never had like a deep-seated hatred for Lord of the Rings. I actually, there's part so of me that So you're not wish- like Randall then? No, I'm, no, I'm not like Randall <laughs> in that sense. I don't hate them. I wish I liked them um, because some friends of mine like get together every New Year's and do a, a marathon of all the extended cuts. I'd love to go to the Prince Charles Cinema and do a, a marathon of the extended cuts. I wish I liked these movies. And in fact, a couple of years ago, I did try to rewatch them to see like, well, you know, I'm, I'm in my mid-30s now. Maybe I'll have a new appreciation for it, particularly because I was playing so much D&D at the time. And I, and I finished Fellowship and I thought, yeah, that is a perfectly fine three-star movie and I never watched the other two. So they are, I think they're, they're okay. It just, it's just not for me. See, I was with you up until you just went, it's a perfectly fine three-star movie. And I'm like, motherfucker, three stars. <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's a totally fine movie. Like, that is what a three-star See, movie that, is. No. It's, a totally oh, okay. fi- it's a totally fine movie. That is what a three-star film is. It's totally fine. No, okay, it, it, okay, is, it is good. It has what three stars is. It's a perfectly good way of passing two hours and 45 minutes. There you go. <laughs> it is a... Good movie, three stars. It's, my, it's the same thing I have with The Dark Knight. It is a good movie, three stars. Yeah, we need to get onto the episode because I'm just like, oh, I've got so much I can say at this point, but I'm not going to because I respect that you have differing opinions for me and that's what makes us who we are. Not only just top of the video game charts here, also the second biggest selling game of 2003 because this is the final episode of uh, Ultimate Gamer that aired in the year 2003. So I thought I'd have a quick look at the charts for 2003 in the UK and Good year for Electronic Arts, who had four of the top five games uh, sold in the UK in 2003. Okay. Uh, FIFA? FIFA 04 is number one. The Sims? Or one of the Sims? Could be the the two, could be three. The Sims, brackets general, number four. Okay. Trying to think what other games we've seen, like over the other stuff in 2003 we've covered. Oh, one that's mentioned on the episode we're about to discover, Medal of Honor. One of the Medal of Honor games. uh, Yeah, Medal of Honor Rising Sun is number three, and then Need for Speed Underground is at number two. Ah, see, I was about to say, I was about to say, is it FIFA again? But like last year's FIFA, because of course it's one of those games that often straddles a year. In fact, that was the number 10 best-selling uh, best oh, game wow. of the year. It was FIFA 2003. Um, uh, Simpsons Hit and Run, iToy Play, Tom Clancy's Splinter Cell, Enter the Matrix, and Grand Theft Auto Vice City round out the top 10. Nice. Nice selection of games. And actually, shocking how many of those games we've actually talked about in some way over the past couple of months. And last little bits of TV notes to round us out here before we get into the episode. On the 19th of December, Rise, the show that replaced The Big Breakfast in April of 2002, is cancelled. But on that same day, we did get the debut of Peep Show. So, light and shade. And interestingly enough, one of the people we see on this upcoming episode of Ultimate Gamer was also a roving reporter for Rise. Yeah, they were absolutely, yeah. Yeah, so, you know, I mean, at least we know that he had more free time for Ultimate Gamer going forward. Uh, We have just passed the Christmas season, so on the 25th of December, Sleepless in Peckham, the final episode of Only Fools and Horses, aired on BBC One, with figures two days later indicating it was watched by 15.5 million viewers. Having spoken with my solicitors, I am not going to comment on anything to do with Only Fools and Horses, because, Luke, last time, we legitimately got letters. We did get letters last time uh, and last two bits of notes 27th of december the final episode of smtv live aired which fun if we sort of talked about on the gamesville episode that it was going to come to an end and then on the 29th of december i thought this had been running way longer 
Ofcom is launched. I was shocked by that because I was just thinking, what existed before then? I mean, obviously, like nothing. Or That's what I'm. Yeah, I thought Ofcom's, of view, like, Ofcom's White always House? been around, but no, apparently it was late '03. Ofcom is launched. It's about twenty years, in fact, of Ofcom. I mean, there were things that you could complain to about. You know, there were bodies you could complain to. Complain to. There was advertising standards, obviously. Um, there was points of view. Uh, there was Mary Whitehouse and her cronies. But, you know, it, Ofcom is just this official governing body. I genuinely just assumed they'd been around for ages. I mean, at this point, they've been around 20 years, but I assume they've been around before then. Same as here, yeah. Uh, Ultimate Gamer then. So this is uh, this was a bit of a bonus one we added in. This wasn't originally part of our timeline. We're going to do Gamesville and then move on to when games attack. But we thought we'd take a little side quest here to ultimate gamer this is one i'm not familiar with uh as a lot with these sky-based ones i didn't have sky so i never saw this but uh i text you this earlier this might be one of my favorites of the ones we've done since games master ended like i've got a lot of nostalgic love for thumb bandits but i really quite liked ultimate gamer this was an easy watch like I, I watched this three times today just because I was just going over it, refreshing my notes, stuff like that. And I was just like, this this is easy to watch. There's not a huge amount to it. And particularly because this is an end of the year episode, there's a lot of looking back at 2003, which from our perspective is kind of cool. But I was just sat there going, this is just really easy. It's not appointment viewing. This is not something I would be uh, flipping around the. This is not something I'd be flipping around the EPG, working out what time it was going to be on, because one of its broadcast slots was following the Tuesday night movie, which could finish at any time from about ten thirty p.m. to quarter to midnight. But if I caught it, or I caught it on the repeat. I definitely have it on. I also have a a huge appreciation for this show because the majority of it is filmed against a green screen. And mm. up until a handful of months ago, that was my job. Uh, we've now moved to a set, but I filmed my day-to-day job was filming things in front of a green screen. And, you know, I've been doing that since 2015. So I, I, I had this thing when I was watching it where... So uh, there's a podcast I really like um, called How Did This Get Made, which I think a lot of people will be aware of, hosted by three actors who watch bad movies and then talk about bad movies. Doing it way before it was sort of a cool thing to do. They've been doing it for like 15 years at this point now. Uh, Anyway, they did an episode, and I forget the name of the movie now, uh, that stars uh, the supermodel Cindy Crawford as a lawyer. And they play this clip where she is reading off this legal jargon, but is delivering it in as flat of a manner as possible because she's not an actor. She's a supermodel. And they cut back to, you know, they, they play the clip and they're having a bit of a laugh about it. And Jude Diane Raphael says, it's one of those moments when you think you stop and you think to yourself, oh yeah, acting is hard. And I had this moment when I was watching this where I thought to myself, Oh yeah, presenting on a green screen is hard. Because bless Emily Newton Dunn, for the most part she's absolutely grand at this, but there are certain moments where I'm like, oh, I can see 
early me on green screen back in like my 2015 era of doing green screen stuff and i was like very new to it because it's not an easy skill to do reading off an auto cue is not an easy skill it's it's very hard to make natural i've spent the better part of eight years trying to make it look like i'm not reading a, a an auto cue so it's very hard there's a moment very much later on which is just it, it is very ad- you are that is not a good take but it's probably the best one that we've got or the only one that we've got i did occasionally get real games master one take and that's it vibes from this yeah and but i think part of it and i think where i feel really bad for emily newton done in this is that it's all one stuff like it is it's one shot it's one take which is how i used to do my green screen bits and bobs so you would just film against the green screen and you just read through it if you cock up at any point you go right back to the start of that link and you go again in in later years when i was presenting on green screen we jump cut like around because a it's it's more it's easier to watch on the eye because it's constantly moving but b if i flub mid-sentence I could just go back to where I was mid-sentence or mid-paragraph or something rather than doing a whole chunk of paragraph again. I remember specifically um, doing an episode of the WrestleTalk News in the old style when you're just presenting it straight down the, the lens and you just have to read off an, you know, an entire news item in one go. If you mess up, you go back to the start. When I was reading out the WWE Hall of Fame names that year, one of which was Tatsumi Fujinami, and I kept getting that wrong so i would get all the way through the news item then i would list off all of the names and i would cock up tatsumi fujinami and it was just it just there was something about my tongue that just would not reel it off when i was reading off everyone else's name and it would be like done right back to the start of the news episode uh, right right back to the start of that news item read 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 fujinami bollocks again right back to the start so there are times when Newton Dunn on this has a moment where I'm like, that is not the best take. And I think she's probably got a better one in her, but it might've just been, well, she got through that. So let's just go with that one and we'll move on to the next thing. I don't think we've ever talked about it before, but one of my previous podcasts, I did start doing stuff for YouTube. It's all been taken down now for a variety of reasons. One of which is I kept getting copyright strikes because things got a lot tighter than they were when I originally published it. But it was just me, and it was using an auto cue that I built where I basically did the trick where you can get the glass of a picture frame and then you have your iPad down there and the camera's behind with the black cloth. So, you know, I built my own auto cue rig and I built my own green screen behind me. And I did a couple of videos. I did one on Friday the 13th. Uh, about Jason Voorhees not actually being evil, of him being a victim of circumstance. It was pretty awfully written, and actually I don't fully believe the argument I was making, but it was fun. However, I think it was about 10 minutes long, and I did it as one take, and I was like you. And the thing is, I didn't even go back to the beginning of the piece. I had to go back to the beginning. And also I had to stop, go over to the digital SLR, switch it off and switch it back on again because it would only record for 15 minutes anyway. Mm. And I actually ended up forgetting to do that once and I got all the way through the take and I realised the last four minutes of it were not there because the camera had just gone, no, I'm I'm done now. I'm yeah. done. I've done my 15 minutes. But it is, it's a real art form and the only way I found to not just kind of look like I was standing there staring at the camera was to make sure I had something in my hands. 
something to avert my eyeline to. And because the podcast was called Hammered Horror, I had a glass of whiskey, except it wasn't whiskey. It was uh, water slightly coloured with coffee because I was getting through a lot of it because it was summer and I didn't want to get shit-faced, so I faked whiskey in a glass. That's the other thing as well, yeah. Like when watching... Uh, Emily Newton done. I I hated presenting on green screen. Like the new setup we have now, where I'm sat down, I'm so much more comfy. Because the thing that I have struggled with over the eight years of doing uh, my well, the previous eight years of doing green screen is what to do with my hands. What am I doing with my arms? How am I moving myself around? And Emily Newton done. It's very static in this she's not moving around there's those moments where she's picking up prizes and stuff and that's really like the only time she's ever really moving her hands around and they are definitely on a folding chair just out of camera yes they, they have put them as close to her as possible without actually being in frame and she's never looking at the items either because she's reading off the auto cue what she has to say next oh it's, it's brutal it's brutal i do not envy it but she is a very very affable and natural presenter i mean obviously we'd previously had bits and now we've got her here and she's just she's much like violet actually she's just pleasant to listen to yeah i think so like there's at the end of this episode because it's almost you know the end of year show they have like this blooper reel at the end and they show her doing some outside broadcast stuff and there she that's where you sort of like that's the emily newton done like she is just a in presenter mode whereas on the green screen it's very much down the barrel of the lens a little bit stilted here and there but getting through it but yeah i think her charisma is what kind of carries it through al obviously gets a little bit more because all of the stuff that you see from him is when he is out and about we see him in paris and we see him in la so he he gets to be like out and about and being in a presenter mode but i really like emily on this and when i was going through sort of like forum posts that were made around video game shows at this time because we're in a, a nice little period here you know we had bits ended then we did thumb bandits but we're at this point in time we're looking at gamesville gamepad and ultimate gamer are all on the air at the same time so there's these sort of like different factions of forum posts of what is the best video game show to watch at the moment most people can most people go with gamepad because no one appears to like gamesville so everyone was like can't imagine why i i i I really struggle to find a a reason as to why for that as well but most people say gamepad's the, the best one to go with but there's almost this like underground viewpoint that you guys are missing out ultimate gamer is actually the best show because it's not aimed at kids because i think gamepad is it's it's it has an audience but i'm not sure what that audience is this is kind of the way the forum posts talk about the show is that this is the video game show for actual adults who like video games and for the most part it steers clear of the lads 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 jokes it there, there is humor to it some of which lands some of which doesn't but it's just kind of played straight without punching down or punching up it it's just it's just it's just there with humor but Ultimate Gamer is not its original title. It was originally called SFG. I don't yeah. know what SFG stands for. I'm guessing a sci-fi gaming I mean, oh, would yeah, be my that guess. that makes sense because it was the sci-fi channel. There we go. Mystery solved. It was for sci-fi gaming. And I think this rebrand came about because the sci-fi channel 
in collaboration with Universal and Ang Lee's The Hulk video game, were doing a national competition to find the ultimate gamer in the United Kingdom at that time. And that was over the summer of 2003. Yes, it's in July. They, they, they mention it, or yeah, I think it's like June, July, maybe April time, just looking at it now. So yeah, it's April through with the grand finals in July. Because um, we get a little bit of a mention of it in this episode. A very offhanded mention of it in this episode. In fairness, if you were tying an entire championship to Ang Lee's The Hulk, you'd mention it offhanded as well. No offence to Ang Lee. It's not a great movie. No, I, d- I did go and have a check. Uh, it did not make it into the top 12 uh, highest grossing movies in the United Kingdom uh, for 2003. Bit of a shame, I suppose, to say for that. And then you might be asking why I did 12. It's because Terminator 3 Rise of the Machines was number 12. So I thought I'd just add that in because that ties into something we were talking about in a previous episode. Ah, continuity. But... While the gaming championship may be here or there, it did give us a rebrand, it did give us this show, and it is a shame there is not more about this show out there, because I want to say it was either Retro Hour or Arcade Attack did an interview with one of the producers. Emily has been interviewed a number of times, both about uh, presenting in the gaming industry in general, because she still works within the gaming industry to this day. But this and, for the most part, bits don't really come up. And if either of them do, it's bits more than it is this. Which is a shame because I would be very interested to know more about how this show was put together. Because even just by this highlight episode that we're about to go over, they go places. Like Emily, we see her against the green screen for this episode, but we also see by clips and the blooper reel at the end. They go on location, they do trips, they visit studios, they go places. She goes to E3. Yeah, they say they go to E3, they go to various different conferences and stuff. And as I mentioned earlier, we have two different uh, video packages in this where Al goes to Paris, Al goes to LA, and that's just like two of the trips that they did. And it kind of, and I think one of the reasons what I liked about this show is that it's it has a lot of that feature element that was missing from Series 7 of Games Master, that stuff that we really liked in uh, 5 and 6. We we get a lot of that here, but it's actually more sort of serious stuff, you know, speaking with the developers of NBA Jam or speaking with Ubisoft about 13. Some really, really cool stuff uh, in there. And it's just coupled with the very cheap nature, but not as cheap as gamepads, being filmed against a green screen, presenting to camera this does look it, it yeah it's funny because it it looks cheaper than gamepad but at the same time doesn't look as cheap as gamepads because gamepad was like you know that white stark room so at with least a few has, dressing with a few dress- dressing yeah so it kind of like it has a bit of oomph to it but then i think back to that consultation zone thing that they film at the official xbox magazine that is just a dv camera that's been propped up on the floor with no actual sound mixing being done for it yeah, but Luke, it's a wrap-up end of your episode. We've got a lot to get through. Shall we crack on? Hello and welcome to Ultimate Gamer. It's been a big year for gaming. There have been more highs and lows than at an illegal rave. And we've been there for all of them. So join us as we take a nostalgic trip through 2003. Also got to applaud Emily Newton-Dunn's fabulous pink Donald Duck shirt that she is wearing for this. It's an angry Donald as well, which I appreciate. It's not the cutesy Disneyland, ha-ha, Donald. This is Donald 
losing his shit over something, Donald. It's a very, very cool shirt. Uh, so yeah, Emily's here to talk about more highs and lows than an illegal rave, and they've been there for all of them. Not sure if that's the highs and lows or the raves. And Emily's going to take us through what's coming up in this episode, which, yeah, as you say, is very much a, a wrap-up episode of what a year 2003 was. I give the rundown on my games of the year and what to look out for in 2004. Al Convi shoots some hoops with NBA Gem and runs riot in Paris with Ubisoft's 13. Now, one of the things that I found whilst I was doing my research for this is I used the Wayback Machine and I found some of Emily's blog posts from the Sci-Fi Channel website because Ultimate Gamer had its own section. Interestingly, you go to archive.org and you find the pages and they look blank and that's because the background graphic is missing. So you do have to kind of like spray it with vinegar to reveal the hidden text and then copy and paste it out. Ended up with a couple of different entries here. We had one from back in April where she's talking about working on lens flare for 1.0, a digital arts festival. And if you actually look around Google for interviews with Emily Dunn, she's there talking about that, including talking about violence in video games and also apparently Sly Raccoon. I'm not sure if that's tied in. Uh, in a slightly later, in a slightly later panel from, in a slightly later blog from May, she's talking about her love of the Game Boy Advance SP, uh, playing WarioWare a lot. Good reference there. From the second of December, she talks a lot about Prince of Persia, which I won't get too into here because guess what? Coming up very soon, she talks a lot about Prince of Persia then. But then from the 16th of December, 2003, the last blog post I could find on the Wayback Machine, and certainly the last I could access before this episode allegedly airs, she talks about the year in reflection. She mentions the fact that it's been a great year for Ultimate Gamer, talks about overhauling the program, renaming it from Sci-Fi Gamer, holding a massive nationwide tournament and crowning our very first Ultimate Gamer. And she says, I got to go on trips of a lifetime. It was my first E3, the world's biggest games conference head in LA, and does bemoan the fact that despite being at a show with thousands of games, she only got to actually play a couple of them. She then talks some more about Prince of Persia, but also talks about going to visit the Ubisoft Studios in Canada to mm. go and actually do a behind-the-scenes thing there on Prince of Persia. And despite all the jet-setting, says that her favourite trips that year were in the UK, where she went on a press trip for the launch of the Italian job. It was a bit of a shit game. It wasn't a great movie either. And the trip to London's East End to go go-kart racing. Mm. It's weird. I'd have thought going to Canada to talk about Prince of Persia, a game which she loves, would have trumped it. But no, go-kart racing in East London. However, she ends this blog post by saying, it's not been a bad year for Ultimate Gamer and an even better one for me. Don't miss our special and a Merry Christmas to you all. And I think, given this was done on the 16th of December, given when Christmas would have fallen, the special she's talking about is the episode we're watching now. Yeah, and we mentioned at the top of this episode that we... This either read on the 30th or the 31st, we're not entirely certain. The YouTube rip says it aired on the 31st, but every article written about the show says that it aired on Tuesdays, and Tuesday would have been the 30th. It did also get repeated the next day, in the afternoon. So it could be that as well. Yes, so it could have been the afternoon repeat. It's definitely... It definitely aired in that last week, because also, all across the top of this episode, throughout is adverts for Tremors the TV series that starts the following week and the competition 
has an end date, a close date of the 2nd of January 2004, which would have been a week after this aired. Yeah, you've got to be quick to, to get those texts in to, you know, win that Xbox. Um, and a copy of 13. Uh, it's funny you mentioned, well, like you know, that blog post she talks about uh, violence in video games and stuff, because I did actually find one of those interviews that she did. She did it for The Guardian about violence in video games, an interview conducted by Alice Krotowski. Nepotism in journalism, Luke. Absolutely shocking. And I was there reading through, I was like, surely they'll mention bits or they'll mention ultimate. Nope, it's not. It is very much, it is on brief. This as an interview, which is great. It's just not good for me 20 years later while I'm trying to do research. The biggest take home I've had from almost all of the shows we've covered post Games Master is none of these f***ers thought of us <laughs> 20 years down the line. Back in May, we packed our bags and flew to LA for the Games World's biggest event, E3. This year, the big stories were Sony's handheld, the PSP, and the 15-minute Half-Life 2 trailer that saw punters queuing for hours for a viewing. But my personal E3 highlight? Well, it had to be meeting Gary Coleman. We get clips of E3 and Sony unveiling the, the PSP and punters queuing up for hours to see that 15 minute trailer for half-life 2 but for emily the highlight was meeting gary coleman yeah because because gary coleman is a fairly major character in the postal universe in the game he comes to town to give out autographed copies of his book what i'm talking about and he's so popular the mayor of paradise declares that day gary coleman day and th there's an entire subplot he's also like he 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 gets in fights he's fully voiced i believe he was meant to be involved in the postal movie that eventually ended up happening however he passed away before that could happen Vern troyer ended up in his role which i genuinely hate the fact that they were just like we can't get this one very short celebrity. Let's replace him with another very short celebrity. Leg legitimately, mini-me. But he takes part in the game. He appears as a non-playable character that fights alongside you. He appears in DLC, expansion packs, and eventually as an, a fightable boss who is incredibly tough. And there aren't a huge amount of positive things to say about the Postal series, or in all the Postal movie, but given the way Gary Coleman's career went at various points in his life, I'm glad he got some popularity and some paydays from this game series. I found this report from the 2003 E3, um, specifically talking about the PSP, uh, where they write, Sony had the best press conference. As always, Sony was loud and long and flashy. After Sony Computer Entertainment America CEO Kaz Harai finished talking about online strategies, upcoming games, and how badly Sony was beating the competition, Ken Kutaragi took the stage and announced plans for a new handheld gaming system called the PlayStation Portable. This announcement left the audience speechless but not as speechless as it left Nintendo. Sony had done it again. Sony had slipped into E3, smuggling a huge surprise under the radar and completely humiliated a competitor. The Nintendo press conference, which took place immediately after the Sony press conference, was an utter disaster. Nintendo was simply caught off guard. They were enjoying incredible success with their new Game Boy Advance SP and had no reason to think that GBA would not have the same kind of 10-year shelf life enjoyed by their first Game Boy. 
Suddenly, Nintendo executives were asked to respond to a challenge they had possibly never even considered. Now, I'd like to skip forward 12 months, because E3 2004, uh, Sony's Kaz Hirai demonstrates a PSP on stage. There are PSP units at the conference, but they are all tethered to stands and none of them are playable. They're all just running rolling videos. Nintendo, on the other hand, had the DS. One year, and whereas Nintendo got blindsided at 2003, 2004, they had a fully playable system while Sony was still uh, still didn't put the PSP actually in people's hands. It's amazing how Nintendo switched that one around. Yeah, it's not quite the 299 reveal uh with with the sony playstation that completely destroyed the saturn this is something that blindsided nintendo but they came out absolutely swinging on the following year amazingly the psp did still win the top e3 award despite not really being at the show i mean there were there were units there and a working psp was demonstrated from the stage and I'm going to put some Bucky O'Hariers there because we all know how, how those on-stage demos actually often go because whenever they do try and demonstrate them live, shit breaks. So yeah. most of the time, it's a pre-tape or people faking it or playing along, particularly at that time. But funnily enough, they talk about the Half-Life 2 demo here, the 15-minute trailer that people queued and queued and queued to see. When we also go to E3 2004... Guess what game still isn't out yet? Is it Half-Life 2? Half-Life 2 has still not come out yet. They are still working to get it. There was so much backlash for the delays in Half-Life 2 because they they showed it at 2003 and it was meant to be released in September. And the it was like the delay was over a year. It didn't come out until November of 2004. And Oh, the internet did not like that, Luke. Nor did the press. No, delays to a game? Nope, it's never going to be high on people's Christmas lists. So the team were already under fire for that, but then it was made even worse by the fact that a hacker stole and released an unfinished version of the game. And the team behind it, who were working so hard to make up for this lost time, to get this game finished and get it on shelves, just killed their morale because people were already judging their work based on an unfinished version. It sucks, man. Like, I mean, I I think they can take a little bit of solace in that the game was universally praised when it eventually did come out, and it almost felt like it was worth the the, the wait for it. Although, you know, Half-Life 2, I've actually never played it. I've barely played Half-Life 1, uh, but I've definitely never played Half-Life 2, despite the fact that it is just, it was at one point the game that everyone wanted to play or was playing. Half-Life 2 is a high watermark and of course people will always ponder what will a Half-Life 3 be? Will there be a Half-Life 3? And the answer is probably not. But they set such a high watermark and so much time has gone and they've sold over 12 million copies of the game. I'm amazed we haven't seen a Switch port. But I, I think it just stands alone. It is an immensely potent game not just from being a first person shooter but from the story from this the development the mechanics the physics the world that you occupy it was worth the wait but i find it so amusing to compare this e3 2003 stuff and then looking ahead to next year's e3 
and what was there and what wasn't there and what still hadn't come out. Well, speaking of things that what wasn't there, um, when I was looking up for that report about the O3 E3, uh, there were some other press conferences. They then led off with, yeah, sure, Nintendo's was bad, but the worst was Nokia's when talking about the end gauge and displaying games that didn't actually work or when they did work, they were grainy uh, and looked really, really bad. Um, but I, I did want to read this little bit from the report. How much would you pay for this? One of the big, mean-looking Finnish executives asked. It sounded like a commercial for Kinshu carving knives. As he said this, a girl who was probably over 20 but did not look a day over 13 walked out onto the stage. The big, mean-looking Finnish Nokia executives seemed to ignore her as she swayed coquettishly beside him. How much would you pay for this great system? The big, mean-looking, very clean-cut Finnish Nokia executive repeated. This time, the girl removed her top. Don't worry, she had a bikini top underneath it. No arrests were made. She had the number 299 scrawled across her stomach in big red letters. It was the biggest photo op of E3 2003. They say you can tell how serious companies are about their games by the size of the shrimp they serve at their E3 parties. Nokia had a small card table with cookies at the conference. And no, I'm not making that up. That sounds about as awkward as I would expect from the Nokia N-Gage and from a company that really just weren't up on gaming. No, exactly. And it, it, it kind of stuck out to me as well, because when they were showing clips of E3, there were like clips of women in bikinis, of models essentially, you know, there to be the eye candy to, to make you want to buy the game. And, you know, towards the style of the time, also towards the style of the press conference. Mm. They were queuing up for Half-Life again when ECTS came round, where the PlayStation experience stole the show. And Xbox held the lavish XO3 in Nice, where the talk of the show was, well, the lack of exciting announcements, really. As well as gaming events, there were gaming competitions. As well as our very own Ultimate Gamer Championship, there was the massive World Cyber Games and the Vodafone Live Arcade, to name just a few. So we get a bit more about this uh, Ultimate Gamer Championship. And I tell you what, I did some digging on this. Quite a prize pot. Oh, it's huge. Yeah, it's huge. I mean, you could even like trips to LA to go to the premiere of Hulkin. There were all sorts of things like there. Were, I, this was at the Empire in Leicester Square, which we've talked about previously on this show, a cinema that I and a location I absolutely adore. I was thinking more about the uh, the top cash prize of fifteen thousand pounds. Now, in two thousand and three, money for a gaming competition—that's a chunk. This shows that this show isn't just you know, a cheaply made show on the Sci-Fi channel. They were pumping some money into this. This is a deal with Universal, effectively, and Vivendi. They got some real good sway behind them, which probably is what got them through the door of things like E3 and other press conferences that they got to go to. I mean, it all ties into because Sci-Fi channel was owned by one of the Universal subsidiaries. Um I can't remember which one it was. Basically, they were all under the same umbrella. So they kind of had the golden handshake backdoor to get in on these deals. Yeah, it's amazing, man. There's a quote here from Janet Goldsmith, who's the managing director of Universal Studio Networks, who says, not only will this be Britain's biggest gaming competition, but it will be a first in every sense of the world. From the open to all mechanic and a prize fund in excess of 50 thousand pounds to regional heats being played on massive cinema screens with so many major sponsors on board it's going to be a hulk of a gaming competition that was a great quote until the last like five words yeah and actually what annoys me more is that hulk is not capitalized it just fails on so many levels because 
what Luke, what does that mean? It's going to be large, green, and angry. Yeah, it's going to be a Hulk of a game. It's going to be very big, and it's going to rip some trousers. It's going to be unconvincing CGI. <laughs> it's going to fight some dogs. That's what it's going to do. Because that's what I want to see when I go to see the Incredible Hulk on screen. Him fighting some dogs. Him fighting the dog from the mask, wearing the mask. All three consoles fought it out to be number one, and while Sony are undoubtedly winning the console war at the moment, both Nintendo and Microsoft are snapping at their heels. In recent months, we've seen game bundles, price drops, and aggressive marketing as all three compete for the Christmas market. But it won't be long before all three are a thing of the past, with next-gen rumours hotting up and even some suggestion that we may see Xbox 2 or PS3 at E3 in 2004. The next bit talks about the console war in its current generation. And they do say Sony is winning the console war. It's the next line that, that gets to me, which says, Microsoft and Nintendo are snapping at their heels. Are they, Bart? Are they really? Because I did my due diligence. Luke, what percentage of home consoles sold in the UK during 2003 do you think went to Sony? It's probably over 50%. Amazingly not. 2002, it was 52.7%. 2003, it was 475 but pretty close. That remaining 50-odd percent is split between Nintendo and and Microsoft. And to give you an idea, the PS2 outsold the Microsoft by almost three to one and outsold Nintendo's GameCube by over five to one. Yeah, I think it's it's an over stretch to say they were snapping at the heels. It's just more of a, there's a little bit more excitement in the air when you're, you're kind of talking about this than to, be, to set up the fact that we've got this next gen war with perhaps the PS3 and Xbox 2 being announced at E3 2004. Neither of them were, for the record. No, they were nowhere to be seen. However, one thing that Nintendo did excel at in 2003 was that Game Boy Advance SP. And that's where they, uh, Nintendo always dominate the handheld market. You know, when we were doing our original run of Games Master, there was the Game Gear, there was the Atari Lynx, but it was always about the Game Boy. It's not so much snapping at the heels, more than it is kind of like running around your ankles yipping occasionally. Yeah, it is. Sony is the big dog and Microsoft and Nintendo are also there. They are small dogs trying to hump the legs of the big dog and the big dog, it's not even that the big dog's not having any of it. The big dog is barely noticing because the big dog has all of the bone. But those small dogs are biding their times because that is a seed that is going to change in the coming years. But as I was looking at this article, which is from the tail end of 2003, just down to 2004, I did notice the line, Nokia's Engage looks increasingly like a failed experiment. It's barely on the market, Luke. <laughs> Bless them. They did try. But what were we playing in 2003? Here's my personal top five games of the year. At number five, Soul Calibur returns with the most sophisticated fighting game on the market. It could have been all style and no content, but 13 managed to combine its fantastic graphics with great gameplay. At number three, an old gaming favorite makes a welcome return with Zelda Wind Waker. What could be more exciting than playing at being a Jedi? Knights of the Old Republic is at number two. 
It's been a tough choice, but my game of the year would have to be the excellent Prince of Persia. Now, my guess would be that usually at this point they would go through a, a regular chart, because that's what this section is called, chart. But because it's the end of year show, it's Emily's Games of the Year, which I, 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 I would have liked a bit more time spent on this, because what we get is the games with one line of text about them. Obviously, the, the number one gets a much bigger chunk of change dedicated to it. But the other four, particularly like, you know, one of them in there, I'd love to talk about a bit more. Um, they just get one line. So you'd be like, Soul Calibur 2, most sophisticated fire game in the market. 13, it's, it was actually, it was in style over substance. But Legend of Zelda Wind Waker, it's an old favorite, makes a welcome return. Like it's just little bits of information there. And I'd like to have seen a bit more from this. I did like, it was interesting to see like, there were games of the year listed here that I was just thinking, yeah, I played a lot of that game as well. Soul Calibur 2 definitely played a lot of. The Wind Waker, I mean, that was a groundbreaking Zelda game because it completely flipped what a Zelda game could be on its head. Only a few years after the Nintendo 64 had already done that twice. You want to talk about the internet hating something upon seeing it. When those first images came out of The Wind Waker, the internet lost its collective mind over those cel-shaded animatics and thought it was going to be absolute bobbins. And as it turns out, The Wind Waker was damn good. It was a damn fine game and features a sound effect that I still use in regular day-to-day -day basis. Splish. Also, just that cel-shaded style and also the kind of like um, the proportions used on the characters. How many games to this day is that still influencing? It's amazing as well, because like, 13's also in her list, which has that cel-shaded style. So clearly, cel-shaded did become a bit of a style of the time. Although something they somehow managed to forget by the time they got to the remake of 13, but we'll talk about that later. Awesome to see Knights of the Old Republic in there. I mean, that is such a massive game. Narrowly avoided being a uh, Attack of the Clones tie-in. They were given the option of either tying the game into Attack of the Clones or doing something set thousands of years before the prequel trilogy. And in an amazing kind of like brazen and bold and possibly we've seen the Phantom Menace move, they decided to go thousands of years earlier because they thought, we'll have more freedom that way and we don't have to talk about smegging trade negotiations. That was a game that made me want to get an Xbox. Uh, at this point here, right, I've got my PS2 and I've got my GameCube, which is is how I'm playing Wind Waker. Um, but yeah, Knights of the Old Republic, because a friend of mine had an Xbox that made me want to go like, actually, I wouldn't mind like just getting an Xbox to play this game. And the crazy thing is, obviously you can still get it on PC now. It was ported to a whole bunch of devices, including Android phones, iOS devices, a Nintendo Switch port came out two years ago, so what, 19 years, 18, 19 years afterwards? You can play it on the Xbox Series X now via backwards compatibility, and a remake is due out at some point. Yeah, I, I don't think I need a remake of it, but I, I, it, yeah, that's, I mean, that's me, old man yelling at clouds. Of, of course, it was bound to happen. It was, it's a game that's twenty years old. Of course, it was going to get a, a graphical remake for it. I think if they just did a graphical overhaul and left the gameplay alone, I'd be fine with it. I mean, the game still looks fine now, but I do look at it and go, "Ooh, I wonder what that would look like in the latest kind of Unreal Engine or using the full oomph." 
Mm. of the current gen of consoles. Although having said that, I've just seen the new open world Star Wars game that got announced the other week. And boy, howdy, does that make me excited because it's a big Star Wars game where you don't have to worry about any Jedi. I mean, yeah, I was excited for that game. And then I saw they had a fucking woman as its lead character. Ugh, no thank you. Not in my Star Wars. Mate, make sure you say uh, hashtag sarcasm after that because you know what the internet's like. <laughs> They'll think I'm on their side. <laughs> oh, we don't want them on. We don't want to be on their side. We've had a very peaceful three years. We've only pissed off the only Fools and Horses fans and that's it. But it's a very, it's a really good lineup of, of games here. What I really appreciate about this episode as well is 13 is in it so much because like it's mentioned here it's the prize there's a feature on it later on and it's just like 13 13 13 and i was like yeah god that was a big game at the time wasn't it and then i was doing my research for it and i really was like yeah it, it was actually kind of it, it got middling reviews and i was like <laughs> god i do not remember this game middling reviews but they friggin loved it at ultimate gamer uh, my note on this verbatim is what is it with these 2003 shows and middling reviews yeah because luke how many games have we looked up over the past month where it was released to middling reviews it was almost every smegging game yeah there's there's one coming up later on in this show but the number one choice in Emily's personal top five of 2003, we talked about it a lot the other week. It's far from a middling review. It's Prince of Persia, Sands of Time. It's only fitting that as fashion takes a turn for the 80s and harem trousers are back with a vengeance, that gaming's king of the look should also return. Put your hands together and give the Prince of Persia a warm welcome on the PlayStation 2. Although this is officially the fourth Prince of Persia, do not under any circumstances confuse it with the previous three. Okay, so Jordan Mechner, the original game's creator, worked closely with Ubisoft's Montreal team. But this new game is a whole different sack of swords. I like that we get this big video of this now with some really good VO from, from uh, Dunn about, you know, the, the, the talking about the plot of the game, but also going into really good detail about why this is Emily's game of the year. It's not like this is a review from someone who is really passionate about this game, is very passionate about video games in general, and very passionate about sharing her thoughts about these video games. And I kind of, you know, you look at what she's doing here about Prince of Persian, you compare that to what Violet Berlin was doing in the review of Terminator or what Gamesville were doing in their review of Prince of Persia, where it's just sort of like, yeah, it's here, it's there, it's nothing in between. But I think like Emily Newton-Dunn really does sell you on this game with her passion for it. My note said this review of Prince of Persia is everything the Gamesville review wasn't. Yeah, exactly. This is a review that makes me... Like, when we talked about it on Gamesville, I was like, oh, I'd quite like to go back and play that game. I can probably just drop it on the uh, the GameCube and it'll be fine. That was idle curiosity. Watching Emily talk about this game made me sit downstairs looking at my GameCube going, do I have time to get it loaded up before we record? And I'm like, no, no, I don't. 
<laughs> you know, it's, to me, it's one of the best action adventure games that she's ever played. And she talks about the controls in details as well. Goes that covers the time mechanic. Then starts comparing it to Ico. This is a game that's going to be remembered for years. It's a really good review. I would actually, I would put money down and put my you know, flag in the ground for this. I think this is the best review we've had on a show post Games Master. I would argue that bar those reviews in Series 7, it's probably one of the best reviews we've had, period. Could be, absolutely, yeah. Because as we talked about, I mean, the Series 7 reviews on Games Master are some of the best reviews they ever had. But this is this makes me excited for a game, and thank God it is a game you can be genuinely excited about because this game did not come out to middling reviews. <laughs> and Emily closes the review by saying that you know, this is a game that will be remembered, and she's not wrong. I mean, heck, I know we've already talked about one remake, but there is a remake of this game coming out, and I think it will be a mostly justified remake. I think it is a game which, if treated properly, and the fact they keep delaying it makes me hopeful that they are taking their time to get it right, that it will be a remake that, much like Resident Evil 2 remake brings you all the things you loved in the original but kind of like wrap, wraps it up a notch yeah to where your memory has distorted it kind of like the game automatically applies the rose tinted spectacles so man i thought emily was so great in that review i hope she's also going to do the review of our upcoming game i'm ross bullet today we're reviewing tony walks underground let's see what this story man is all about then it's um the story about a skater who starts off sort of in the ghettos and he has to make his way, make a career through skating from being a, like, a nothing, basically, an amateur, a rookie, all the way up to the pro circuit. It's sponsored to pro. Yeah, there's loads of different options you can do. You can change your skin colour and you can make him red, whatever, you know, all the way through. All these different colours. You can make him look like the Incredible Hulk if you want. Boy, howdy. That would this review's a real kick in the nuts. <laughs> yeah, like, do you know what this is? This is the top skater section of the show, which is, oh, do you know what would be really funny if we got a pro skater to come onto Games Master to do color commentary for this silly arcade uh, skating game? Great on paper, does not work in practice. This is something that's great on paper, getting skating fans, like these two kids who are actual skaters, to review Tony Hawk's Pro Skater Underground. But it isn't really... It's great on paper. It is not great in practice. I mean, these two are legitimate skaters. We also get a bunch of B-roll from a skate park, which I'm fairly certain is the South Bank Skate Park. Uh, because there's just something about it. I mean, nothing. You you must have walked past the South Bank course, Skate Park. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But I think this is the view from inside looking out, which yeah. unless you're a skater you don't see well that a uh, 50 point grind uh thing we were talking about a few weeks back when they were on thumb bandits i'm pretty sure that was filmed down at the south bank uh skate park so it would probably make sense that this was also done there but it's a, i like the idea of this of getting these two kids who genuinely love skateboarding and they know the people like you know they they could pick one of the players they pick paul rodriguez to play days one it's like oh my god it looks just like him it's like it's like being as him but then they also just say like really weird things like it neither of them seem to be particularly good at the game anyway because all the b-roll they have of this game is them falling over (laughs) 
there is a moment where I think it's Ross says that this is the game of all games. He says while twatting himself repeatedly. And at this point, I'm pausing the video and trying to look at their eyes and going, are these guys stoned? I think they might be. And that's not a criticism, but it is a case of they are looking at each other, but also looking through each other. There is a disconnect from reality there, which may also explain why their reactions are absolute shit. There's a moment in this when you watch them sort of like skate up a building and then do some tricks on the rooftop and then grind across some phone cable wires, all while Ross is saying, Yeah, it's good. It is quite realistic. It's quite realistic. And then they talk a lot about nicking cars. Yeah, exactly. And it's sort of like, you know, doing the big sort of GTA stunt thing that you can do. And it kind of, like, that line of him being like, yeah, it's quite realistic, just kept ringing in my head of being like, I don't think that word means what you think it means. It's not the only time in this show where someone uses a word that doesn't quite mean what they think it means. But yeah, I mean, don't get me wrong. Thug is a good game. It is a good it, game. It's a very, very good game. Uh, they just don't do as good a job of selling it to me as Prince of Persia, Sands of Time. No, I, I would agree on that one. I, I, Ross and Bullet are, are totally fine, although Bullet at one point calls the game Huck. Uh, I, I was a teenager in 2003. I've never heard that word before in my life. Um, clearly, I was not a cool teenager, although I, I could have told you that before I started watching this. Um, it, but it's just, it's, yeah. I could see what they were going for here but this is not the best segment of the show. You know, earlier when you were saying, like, this is a real easy watch, this is a bit of a breeze watch, this is a segment that sticks out like a sore thumb in it. I think it's the only one where it's really aged, and I'm not sure it was that great to begin with. Thanks for that, boys, and you know what? I reckon I could have pulled off some of those moves. No, really. And when we come back, this is one of those, oh, yeah, presenting on a green screen is hard. Because Emily is like, I could have pulled off all of those moves. No, really, I could have done. Anyway, here's the you know the prize and stuff, and it's just like, oh, it's she has so much to do because the links along, particularly because this is a link where she's got to go through the prizes for the competition. You've got to get so much in there, so it's just like, was that the best take? Probably not, but at least she got through the whole thing. So we'll go with that one. Yeah, because this. This competition's in association with Vodafone Live. That's clearly one of the other ins that they've got as well, because they were talking about Vodafone Live Arcade in the, uh, the 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 video package we had at the start. You get a phone with, I think, a version, a mobile version of 13 is on it. You also get an Xbox and a more decent playable version of 13. You get the Xbox Live headset, which was a pretty cool headset at the time. And how can you win all this? You've just got to answer this question. What does FBI stand for? Is it A, Federal Bureau of Investigation, B, Fumbling Brainless Idiots, or C, Festive Bethlehem Inn? I, I don't know, Luke. I'm stumped. I thought it stood for full-blooded Italians. <laughs> I, <laughs> I proper laughed at Festival Bethlehem Inn. <laughs> It sounds like one of those places you'd find at uh, Winter Wonderland in Hyde Park. You know, yeah, it's yeah. just like, oh, oh, where, where are they? They're in the pub. Which one? Oh, the festive Bethlehem Inn. Yeah, it's just like, oh, we need to. You know, we are airing this around Christmas time. Can we get a Christmas joke in here? Not convincingly, but we can say festive Bethlehem Inn. I'm out. Now I don't really play basketball, but if I did, I'd play it in LA, and I'm gonna, because I'm here for the launch of NBA Jam 2004. 
Not bad, eh? The new game, um, NBA 2004, how do you think that's improved on its predecessors? What's really fun about NBA Jam um, 2004 is we've taken all the core elements of you know the early game, all the fun things like the hotspots, on fire, all those things that made Jam so great, so accessible, so fun, and made it even better. Uh, we've added monster dunks, over-the-top crazy dunks that you'd never see anywhere else in the world. Um, famous NBA legends, we have the Legends Tournament, the unlockable characters. This is one, I think this is a really good feature because I think this shows the scale of Ultimate Gamer which makes it feel so much more big time than the very controlled studio atmosphere and it's very small studio atmosphere of Gamesville and the even smaller studio atmosphere of Gamepad. This is a much more big and expansive show. It's what I was talking about earlier about like it's it looks cheaper than Gamepad but also more expensive than Gamepad and that's because they've got these things where Al Convoy here has been flown out to LA to have a go on the new NBA Jam, but also like play basketball with the the Clippers and all this sort of stuff. Like this feels this feels like season five and six of Games Master. However, to continue with the theme, this version of NBA Jam, NBA Jam 2004. It was a three-on-three -three basketball game, and they kept talking about, you know, all the classics of NBA Jam, and my math may be off, Luke, but wasn't the classics of NBA Jam two-on-two? -two? It very much was, but we're in a new generation now. We've got to up the ante somewhat. And the way to up the ante is to make it three-on-three. -three. And put Abraham Lincoln in there. Abraham Lincoln didn't bother me at all because, hey, we've both played the classic NBA Jam. We know some of those hidden characters that Absolutely. are in there that they never got permission for. Exactly. Presidents being in the game is a long-standing tradition of the NBA Jam series. It's a middling game, but it is NBA Jam. It was just developed by Acclaim. I don't think there was no involvement from Midway in this one. This was, I think, one of the first ones with no involvement from them at all. Yeah, and it's also the last from Acclaim as well before they go under. But they really, really put some oomph into promoting this because hey they've been thrown out they've been flown out to los angeles al gets a bunch of balls thrown at him he's at the staples center and he gets to talk about the game about what makes it so cool about all the legacy features they've put in there about what's made it bigger and better and they mention a couple of the classics like the on fire mechanism uh the various cheats and kind of enhancements you get like tiny head big head all this kind of stuff and one of the things i really loved is they didn't just go oh yeah on fire big heads al actually goes oh but for those that may not have played the original games, because they're old, Luke. They are old games. They're 10 years old at this point. What do those modes mean? And I liked that because if I'd been watching this in 2003, I'd have known what on fire meant. But I don't think I'd have found the explanation objectionable because it wasn't like a long dig into the history of it. It was just kind of a, oh, it's this. Yeah. And I did appreciate the inclusivity of doing that because hopefully maybe it made it appeal to to a new generation even if it is a inferior sequel i completely agree with you I, I i thought it was a really decent little interview and you know they talk about how that they got they did motion captures with these people who did crazy stunts on tramampolines and they really are going like in depth on the making of this game and then you know they start joking about abe lincoln being in it it's abe lincoln meets 50 cent there's a reference for the time and it's 
I mean, I've got, I, I, this this whole segment was very 2003, particularly those establishing shots of LA that they were doing. It was very much of the time. In fact, actually, I think people would probably still do this style of editing if you were doing clips of LA. It might have even been stock footage that they bought from Getty or something to put into this as opposed to filmed and edited themselves. I don't know. I mean, I've been to LA a number of times in my life. My first trip was right at the Millennium. And then I went 2001, 2003, right up till 2017. It's not changed much. (laughs) One of the things I I liked about this is that it's put together and packaged differently to the 13 one later. And it kind of makes you feel that the the videos that they do for their, their, you know, outside broadcast and stuff are edited and presented differently depending on what the game is. Like this editing style is very in-fitting with NBA Jam. The 13 one later is very in-keeping with 13. And I think that's actually a nice little stylistic choice. This is now the part of the show where the audience points at the screen and goes, ah, look how short Al is, because I'm right next to the big fella here, Quinton Richardson, who plays for the LA Clippers. How you doing? How you doing? Hey, you're one of the, the stars of the NBA here. How does it compare playing on here to playing the computer game NBA 2004, which you also star in? Uh, it's a little bit different than when you play in a real game and on a computer. Uh, when you play on the video games, you can, you know, I can make myself get 80 points if I want to. My team never loses. I'm better than the computer. Usually better than most of the people I play against. And we get an interview with an actual basketball star, Quentin Richardson of the LA Clippers. And it's a really fun little interview, even if Quentin is clearly there just because I guess he drew the short straw. Like he's he's not the most kind of like charismatic of, of interviews. But he's played the game. He quite liked the game. He particularly likes the fact that he can score like 80 points without completely bollocksing himself because (laughs) that's, I mean, that's a lot of points to score. Interestingly, his all-time career high for points in a game was 44 points in a 120 to 104 victory over the Denver Nuggets. Guess what day he got that record? Is it close to this airing? It was New Year's Eve 2003. Would you look at that? That's a fun little bit of trivia. I, 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 I had a proper Leonardo DiCaprio in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, kind of like pointing at the Wikipedia, going, well, that's a hell of a coinkydink, given he's being interviewed here talking about scoring 80 points. I mean, 44 is closer to 80 than it is to zero. Statistically. His joke that he's doing here as well probably made him think he was never going to get close to that sort of score. It's also a hellishly impressive number of points to score in a single game. Like, 44 points out of 120, unless someone else did some serious heavy lifting, he must have been the kind of, like, high-point scorer of the game. He's also game for a laugh as well, because Al's just like, oh, you're a shooting guard, so you just take the ball off people. Could you take the ball off of me? And he, <laughs> and he does so easily. But then at the end, he's he doesn't like, even have to move. He's just got long arms, and he just reaches forward and goes, bam. Nope. And then at the end of it, he's just like, oh, yeah, no, thanks for the interview, man. It's really good. Yanks the ball off him and runs to do like a little layup, which he, he misses. But, you know, there's the lad's having a, Quentin there's having a little chuckle at this. He found this little British man quite endearing. Yeah, I think he got a big laugh at the missed layup because it's like, oh, cool. You stole the ball back off me. You still biffed it. Lol. <laughs> I'm going back to play this game. 80 points. Now, the Americans seem to think that this game's a little bit tricky. 
to Doddle. How's that? Something tells me that wasn't the first take, Al. Keep watching and you'll see for yourself at the end of the show. But what an ending we've got here, where Al's just like, you know, people say this game's tricky, but it's really a doddle. And he proper Sigourney weaves it over his head into the basket. <laughs> and then, towards the start of the time, clicks his fingers like Ali G <laughs> to end this segment off. Emily immediately just kind of like dick kicks him and goes, there's no way that was the first take. Yeah. I mean, we already knew that. If that had genuinely been the first take, he wouldn't have done a finger click. It would have been the Ron Perlman kind of like, holy shit moment. Yeah, and it, therefore would not have made it into the episode. But we're about to head into the ad break. But ooh, if only there was a little bit of jargon busting that we could do as a bit of pre-break tease for us. But before all that, it's time to decode the gaming world in jargon busting. What is a boomstick? Answer after the break. Celebrate the most classic British comedy film collection of all time. Oh, hello. Start your classic carry-on collection now with carry-on camping. Sore throat. Get Beecham's max strength. Carefully researched, painstakingly designed, perfectly sculpted. The Lord of the Rings collector's models are here. This official collection covers every major character. Cast in solid metal, then hand-painted to be authentic in every detail. And a special guide adds background to the characters and the making of the films. In perfect scale, the Lord of the Rings collector's models builds fortnightly into the definitive collection. Part 1 brings you Gandalf the White. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Wow! <laughs> 
ever since Red Bull started giving everyone wings. <laughs> Grab your mobile. You can sign your Nokia with your own name. Just text the word TAG and your name to the number 8181. So text TAG and your name to 8181. Only the Fairley Brothers, the directors of There's Something About Mary, <laughs> could make a film about brothers <laughs> this close. Can you move a little? Can you, uh... Type on your back. Matt Damon, Greg Kinnear, stuck on you. Before the break, we asked you, what is a boomstick? A boomstick is a shotgun. Perfect for fragging some mooks. Hello and welcome back to part two of Ultimate's Gamer. If you still can't get your tongue around some gaming lingo, then let me know and I'll do my very best to help. There's a slight missed opportunity here. Because, you know, if you've got the question, what is a boomstick? The answer is, this is my boomstick. That is what you, that's the answer. I mean, Luke, I tell you what, as a person with the name Ash, I am so glad I had someone to explain to me what a boomstick was, <laughs> you primitive screwheads. So I, I guess as well, like this portion of the show, you know, when sort of they come back from the ad break is, and the, you know, I, I found an article uh, when doing research about the show is that they wanted it to be quite interactive. So they talk about how, like, uh, I'll find you the, the, the quote that they say about it, which is, uh, Emily's views are bound to be contentious. So if you think she's talking rubbish, log on to sci-fi-essay.com and argue the toss with your fellow gamers. So I think they wanted this to be sort of like a, a, a feedback, he not heavy thing, but like this literally a portion of the show where they were like, we've had this email in from this chap. Here's what he has to say about this game. It's a way for you to be featured within the show itself. We've had an email from Jeff Bannister who wanted to let us know exactly what he thought of World War II first-person shooter Call of Duty. What can be said about this game? Nothing bad, anyway. There is so much diversity. The graphics are so well drawn, you don't have to follow the game plan and all weapons can be used. It's just so much better than Medal of Honor. Nothing bad can be said because there is so much diversity. I don't think that word means what he thinks it means. It may seem inconceivable, but I would agree. <laughs> I don't think that word means what he thinks it means. But also, Ash, the graphics are well drawn. And you do not have to follow the game plan. No, you don't. You can just you can just sit in the fields. And you'll never guess what. What? All weapons can be used. <laughs> it's not like those other shooters where you pick up weapons and then you can't use them. Hate those games. I bet you he thought he was offering some really <laughs> deep and meaningful insights to poor little sod. I will say, I did actually like the first couple of Call of Duty games. I played Call of Duty 2 online a lot. Oh, yeah? Yeah, yeah. I had a guy that I worked with at the time and uh, used to play uh, the kind of the squad based gameplay quite a bit, which was a, it was a lot of fun. Really good like way to spend a couple of evenings. And then I just drifted away from the Call of Duty franchise altogether. However, I may be about to revisit it because I won a key for the latest one while watching Frankie Ward do Twitch streams. Hey! Yeah, I was quite, I was quite chuffed with that because I'd wanted to play the single-player campaign in the latest Call of Duty, but I didn't want to buy it. And then I won a key, so now I can play it if I can find the time. I think we might have mentioned this when we had Call of Duty in the Games Master reboot when we covered that in our first coverage of it. 
but I don't think I've ever really played them. Like, even around this point in time, I don't think I was playing them. I certainly haven't played any of the more modern ones. I think I enjoyed the World War One, World War Two based ones, particularly because it wasn't hyper-real, but you did get things with the older machine guns, like, sure, you get an increased rate of fire, but they will jam, you yeah. know, and stuff like that. Like, the, the guns were not flawless like murder machines they would jam they would freeze the sights wouldn't be perfect because the sights weren't perfect and i appreciated that but at this point and it's actually mentioned in this review you did have two franchises going head to head you had call of duty and it was going up against medal of honor which we mentioned earlier yeah i'm my friend um had i'm pretty sure he had the first medal of honor on the playstation so I think I probably would have been more au fait with Medal of Honor. However, like you mentioned in the Call of Duty 2, that's a cover that I can just picture in my head because I would have seen it a lot at GameStation. I don't think I could say the same for Medal of Honor games. When you're at the center of a presidential assassination conspiracy, with the government and mercenaries chasing you, and you've forgotten your name, you can either go to ground or you can come up fighting. So I've made it my mission to come here to Paris to get the lowdown on 13 from the boys at Ubisoft. Wish me luck. This is Julien, who's a producer down at Ubisoft in France, in Gay Paris, where we are right now. Lovely to meet you. Nice to meet you. Ça va? Ça va, ça va. Uh, now, where did the concept behind 13 originate from? It's actually coming from a comics, and one day we guessed it could be a good video game. Everything starts with uh, the president of the uh, United States. He has been assassinated by a man, and as the player, you wake up on a beach. Uh, you have no memories, you have lost your memories, and you will soon realize you, exactly, you look exactly like the killer. The idea is really to take you into several places, and like in a book or like in a movie, you know, you don't spend all your time in the same place or same boat or same facilities you have to travel just to to feel things differently well this is quite a fancy feature on 13 i like that they do it in a sort of comic booky style like they are sort of filming this faux espionage thriller thing with al running around paris and things like that there's some really nice shots of him in paris as well like that ending shot with him running towards the eiffel tower like there's some really like nice visuals in here but they edit it like it's a comic book like it's 13 itself based on a comic book and so the game tries to draw inspiration from that comic book and have pop out windows and tack 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 on screen and sound effects and this that and the other so they try and ebb that in the way that this feature is presented i think that's a really nice touch and i think it's things like this that really did warm me to ultimate gamer and wish that there were more episodes of this available online it's almost sad that so much effort is being given to a game that luke got middling reviews it did get some mixed reviews and it sold poorly as well um there's some really uh, fun quotes here that i picked out on which hilariously I, and this is not done on purpose, sound a lot like my reviews I had for Lord of the Rings earlier. This one from GameSpy, which says, when it comes down to it, 13 is a fine game. Just don't expect it to be the FPS of the year, because sadly, it isn't. When did you write for GameSpy? <laughs> and Eurogamer. Eurogamer calling it a flawed masterpiece, I think really sums this whole thing up, because they, you know, Emily earlier in the show talks about how there was this worry with 13 that it was going to be all style and no substance and she argues that it's quite the opposite it is all style but it's got substance to it as well but all the reviews are it is all style and very little substance 
it looks beautiful it's gorgeous to look at it's very stylized and it's very cool but the combat's a bit wonky and it's just not up to scratch with what everything else is doing at this point and it's such a shame because it had so much potential particularly because i mean that cell shaded look fits in with the graphic novel novel origins and it i mean it had a cast the lead character the protagonist was david Duchovny. batman's in this now do you mean batman or do you mean adam west who is actually batman well it's i think you'll find it's pure west is in this movie. He didn't need a molded bodysuit to make him look cool. And how come Batman doesn't dance anymore? 13 is a franchise that stuck around because obviously you've got the graphic novel. You had this game in 2003. There was a maple-scented television film based on it called 13 The Conspiracy. That came out around 2008, followed by also a Canadian television series called 13 The Series, which had two seasons. Guess how many episodes was in each season? 12. 13. Oh, close. So close. <laughs> it's almost like there was a gimmick there, Luke. <laughs> and it's still a very well-regarded graphic novel series. And this game didn't go away because in 2020, a remake of the game appeared. And guess what? What's that? didn't get middling reviews it didn't get good reviews it, did, it there wasn't enough good to this game for it to get middling reviews it got bad reviews it was criticized for the art style which completely changed the style from the original it was criticized for the game design which it completely changed from the original it had technical and audio issues it was so bad the developer had to issue an apology and two years later announced that an update for the game was on the way where basically they had spent two years trying to fix the game. Man, it's, it's bad times. Bad times for the game. I'm kind of impressed that they... Because there's so many game developers that would have just gone, ah, we stunk that one up, on to the next one. But no, there was a level of pride somewhere in there where they're like, no, we need to do something to try and make this right. I don't know that it actually did, but I appreciate that they tried. However, 13, the original, uh, I I think I played this and I think I quite liked it, but it's not a game I've gone back to. I'm surprised that I did not play this at the time. I was, I, you know, this is a real big comic book time for me, Um which I think we've covered on previous podcasts as well, where I like I, I sort of lost interest in certain things, but it became really big into comic books for for a different reason. And I was really into my comic books at this point, and I loved the style of this. I loved the fact that it was like a comic book. And it's funny that this came that this comes out the same year as Angley's Hulk, which is also trying to do lots of comic booky type things, but in the medium of film. And I, I think I was really drawn to this sort of thing, but I never actually played the game. But I remember seeing so much about it and reading about it in Games Master magazine that I wanted to play it. But a lot of my wanting to play it comes from its style as opposed to its substance. And from what I can gather, there just was a little... That was a little lacking. But we do get a pretty cool interview with one of the developers from Ubisoft 
bigs up that comic book styling, the cell shading. Yeah. And also it being a first-person shooter. Yeah, the weapons, and it's not just the basic weapons you get. Anything can be a weapon uh, in the game, like chairs and, and things like that. He I, 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 really does sell you on the game and the sort of like the big idea of the game and this very cool plot that the game has got, which is, which is taken from the, the, the book. It's, it's a really good selling piece on the game, which is why, because it's featured so much in this episode, I was then surprised to read middling reviews for it. But, you know, Al thinks all this sounds great, but Luke, he's a bit nervous because, you know what, he's not played any of the previous 12 games. I know, yeah. It's, I mean, he's going to be really struggling when he gets to uh, when he gets to Naked Gun 33 and a third. Well, though, as we've discussed on this very podcast series, perhaps you should just skip 33 and a third. Just, I, I would say just watch the Naked Gun and then watch Police Squad. And, and then and, watch Airplane. And then watch Airplane, and you'll have a great time. And if you're really desperate, go and watch the skits they do at SummerSlam 94. <laughs> if you're really desperate. If you're really desperate, because some of them are quite funny. Speaking of things that are sometimes quite funny, I'm really glad the joke lands because you've got Julian, English is a second language. There was every chance this joke about not having played the previous 12 games would have just fallen flat, but he rolls with it and he's like, it's cool, mate. I gotcha. I'll give you some notes to catch you up. Very, very smart. I like that a lot. I I thought it was a really good little feature. I liked the way it was presented. I think Al's pretty good at this, this kind of role. And... I, it made me want to play the game. So that is what these sorts of features are supposed to do. So thumbs up from me. Honestly, you can't send that boy anywhere. Now, there may have been some amazing games in 2003, but 2004 could be even better. Let's take a look at what you might be sacrificing your social life for next year. He may be a rude little rodent, but we can't wait for Rare's Conquer to make it to the Xbox. But Luke, we have just seen so many games from 2003. 2004 is right around the corner. I hope, I hope we're about to be shown a lot of games that actually come out in 2004 and don't actually get delayed for a year or longer. Yeah, it is unfortunate that our first game here comes out in 2005. Uh, <laughs> you know, great intentions that they're saying everything else does come out in 2004, so at least we get that one. Um, but yeah, this for our first entry here for Conquer, not live and uncut, uh, live and reloaded, as it eventually gets rebranded to is our first entry here for for games coming out next year. But it is kind of a a slight spit and a polish remaster of Bad Fur Day. It's got a lot of poo. It's got a lot of swearing. It's a squirrel version of Bottom. It's funny, isn't it? Because like this is literally just Conker's Bad Fur Day. Uh, with a graphical overhaul, not that lot, not that many years later either, um, to put it onto the Xbox. Really, this is all about the multiplayer and giving you a brand new multiplayer for the game because the storyline and the plot, the single player, is copied and pasted. But hilariously, you know, Emily Newton down here calls it Conquer Live and Uncut. It gets released as Conquer Live and Reloaded, and the reason why it's rebranded is because the game is not uncut. No, it's quite the opposite. It's so much more censored than the N64 game was. Whereas the N64 game just censored the F-bombs, this censors everything. So when the great Mighty Pooh is talking about how he's going to throw shit at you, you get the censored version instead in the Xbox one. That's really bizarre. 
I read this. I found this IGN review of it. It says, "Conquer Life and Reloaded is an utterly foul game. There's an unending stream of curse words from Conquer and those he meets, though all of these are bleeps." Originally, Microsoft had called the remake Conquer Life and Uncut, but wisely changed the name because this is not in any way an uncensored version of Bad Fur Day. In fact, the N64 version actually had unbleep swearing. Sure, the F-bomb was always censored, but every now and again, then S-word would get through, which made things even funnier. Here, Microsoft has upped the bleeps as almost nothing makes it through safely, not even which I didn't even know was considered a curse word. Don't cry over the lack of swearing, because the bleeping actually makes things funnier now. And the reason why I wanted to read that line now is because that was the methodology you and I t- approach to this podcast. The, the only times we don't really remove swearing is when it just doesn't fit the tone of the episode. Like uh, our interviews generally go out uncensored. The Paul Rose one last week, that went out uncensored because it's not, it's not the same. But yeah. yeah, the censoring does generally make things funnier, especially if we do it in such... I mean, there are some where I think we may have actually censored words that weren't really that bad but it did just make it sound funnier it makes it sound a lot funnier to, to do it this way it was kind of like you know my, my thinking behind it when we first started doing this podcast but what i also liked about this review is you know the, the wikipedia page would be like oh the censoring really angered fans in this and that. but this review this is written by a fan who thinks that it does make it funnier uh, they write here it's a feeling that there's a saturday morning cartoon that's gone horribly wrong plus there's more to be horrified over than just the swearing there's an excessive amount of poo jokes enough to make even the Farrelly brothers blush. Thanks to the brilliant graphics, gamers can now witness the true horror of diuretic cows and the brilliant sheen of the sun reflecting off a poo ball that's being rolled uphill. I've actually not played uh, Live and Reloaded, but man, I played a lot of Bad Fur Day. Like, we were obsessed with Bad Fur Day, which is why the Great Mighty Poo song runs around my head and even now here i am more than 20 years later i still know the words to it at number four online driving with gran turismo 4 a game that did come out in 2004 here gran turismo 4 which unfortunately the one thing that she mentions in this coming up the online mode wasn't there that was removed it was originally meant to come out in 2003. It was delayed to 2004, delayed for over a year and a half. The online mode was removed, but had over 721 cars, uh, 51 different tracks, many of which were, to be fair, new or modified versions of old Gran Turismo tracks. But there were some like real-world locations added as well. It was a massive success when it came out. It became one of the highest selling games of 2005 because it did come out right at the end of 2004. Japan, December 28th. We technically didn't get it until 2005. So I should really redo that, shouldn't I? (laughs) That's fine. But this would be the last Gran Turismo game released for five years. We would not get another until the PlayStation 3 in 2010. It's amazing as well, because, you know, we're at four here. We ended Series 7 of Games Master with Gran Turismo 1. And we've jumped forward just five years and we're on our fourth game in the series. Gordon Freeman will be saving the Earth all over again in Half-Life 2 at number three. At number two, it's the conspiracy-laden Deus Ex Invisible War. Getting another mention is Half-Life 2 before we move into Deus Ex Invisible War on PC and Xbox. And 
spoilers, the number one game that they promote is for the Xbox as well. So that's number five for the Xbox, number four for the PS2, number three for the PC, number two for PC and Xbox, and number one for the Xbox. This is a top five that makes me think having an Xbox is what you want for 2004. And also, Luke, they were giving away an Xbox earlier. Deus Ex Invisible War is technically a 2003 game. We just don't get it until 2004. So this is actually a dead cert. This is a game they can comfortably say will definitely come out in 2004. This one's got an actual release date. Yeah, (laughs) this one's available to pre-order. But what's our most anticipated game? We can't wait for the continued adventures of Master Chief in Halo 2. And yeah, our final game is Halo 2 on the Xbox. Like, I mean, Emily newton Turner basically goes like, what else could it have been? It had to be Halo 2. Which is kind of mad as well, because, you know, Half-Life 2 is the game they've been talking about was the big things from E3 and, and, you know, one of the other conferences they go to. But there's just Halo 2 is is we had it being talked about in Gamesville just a couple of weeks back. People are really excited to get back into the world of Halo. I think I enjoyed Halo 2 a lot more than Halo. I remember playing Halo 2 a lot more than Halo. Yeah, it, it was. I remember it being such a hotly, hotly anticipated game. It was a massive success. It was, it was everywhere. I like it. And Emily sort of rounds us up here. And, you know, it's kind of the final point she makes of this episode before we go into the blooper reel. But it's that this, you know, all five of those games, there are sequels. And she's hoping for some more original titles to, to rear their heads in 2004. And I wonder if that's why she's so high on 13. Because, I mean, yeah, it's based on a comic book, but it's an original video game title. And so it may, maybe that's the sort of, that's what drove her towards it was like, this is an original idea and it's not just a sequel or a remake of something from the previous generation. I mean, I'm just actually thinking back. I'm fairly certain 13 is the only original game featured on this entire episode. Because if we look at her top five, other than 13, Soul Calibur 2, Legend of Zelda, The Wind Waker, Knights of the Old... Oh, I suppose Knights. Knights of the Old Republic is an original. I'll give them that. It's part of a franchise, but if we're going to include 13, we can include Knights of the Old Republic. But Prince of Persia, Sands of Time, technically the fourth Prince of Persia game. Tony Hawk's Pro Skater Underground. It is a direct follow-on from Pro Skater 4. NBA Jam. Christ knows how many NBA Jam games there have been at that point. Even when they're doing the E3 coverage, it's it's Half-Life 2... And Postal, which is, you know, the the next entry in the Postal franchise. So there's clearly a lot of an overbearing sense that we are getting into a bit of a sequel malaise, which is really funny as well, because, you know, this was aired 20 years ago, and you look at what we have now, and it's nothing but sequel malaise and or remakes of games from the previous generation. The more things change, the more they stay the same. Although if I look at some of the games I enjoyed the most over the past 12 months, they have actually been the original games. I think in a dredge on the Switch, Stray on the PS5, stuff like that. But I do concede most of the games I'm looking forward to over this next year, big games, their series, their sequels, their stuff like that. I can't the help AAA it. AAA stuff. Yeah, there's a lot of AAA stuff. But there is also a lot of independent games I'm really looking forward to as well. 
So yeah, thankfully, hopefully 2004 held something exciting for Emily, other than more Prince of Persia. Don't forget about this week's competition. It's your chance to win a GX10 iPhone fully loaded up with 13. We've also got a copy of the game. We've also got an Xbox to play it on. And it doesn't stop there because we've also got an Xbox Live headset just for you. All you have to do is simply tell us, what does FBI stand for? We get one more plug for that competition. And at this point, I had to pause and stop. Because Luke, she lists the prizes. She talks about one of those prizes being a GX10 iPhone. I paused. I rewound. She definitely said a GX10 iPhone. I went to Google and I'm like, I'm not imagining things. No, the iPhone didn't appear until 2007. Then I realised there was a space on that auto cue missing. It was the GX10i space phone. phone. The model was GX10i. I had this real moment of like, holy sh**, is she a time traveller? Yeah, or it was just, was there an iPhone before the iPhone? And the Apple, Apple, Apple stole its name. From Sharp, of all people. But no, I did work it out. It's the GX10 iPhone. Space phone. Yeah, space phone. I mean, it's a flip phone. It's clearly a space phone. It's from the future. I had a flip phone around this time. Um, and because I was on Vodafone, which means I was on Vodafone Live Arcade. And there was an awesome Evil Dead pinball game that I played so much of. That's it for this week. Keep your eyes open for more Ultimate Gamer in the new year. To play you out, though, here's some of the bits we didn't want you to see from 2003. Until next time, Happy New Year. And then we go out on a blooper reel that is mainly just fartassing around. Yeah, it's it's a lot of it's outtakes as you would expect from the blooper. We do get all of those missed uh basketball shots uh from the NBA jam sequence we saw earlier. But it was a blooper reel and you know, I I mentioned this earlier that made me wish there were more complete episodes of this show around online because I really did quite enjoy Ultimate Gamer. And this blooper reel made me want to see more of it. There is one outtake in this blooper reel that I am shocked made it to the blooper reel. And I'm amazed didn't get Al punched. See those digits? Magic. Imagine the fun you could have with a thumb like that. So what's the, uh, the level of competition mean like then? The look on his face as soon as he says that and the fact he immediately changes the subject the means pause. that clearly his, his brain just caught up with what he'd actually just said. He was meaning he's got a slightly weird looking thumb. What it sounded like is, would you like to, with the, yes. It really reminded me of, what's it like being a sex symbol? I do not consider myself a sex symbol. No, I was talking about me. It really reminded me of that. And I almost felt like Al knew because his delivery of when he changes subject and the, the pause that he leaves is genuinely very funny. I don't know. I just don't. Al doesn't strike me as the sort of person that would go, hey, I've got a long thumb. Would you like to... I, I don't mean like that. I think he completely meant this is a weird-looking thumb, but realised that it fell flat on its ass and left that pause long enough to then just go into, so anyway, about the game. I, don't, I think he thought his joke about the thumb would get a laugh, though. Yeah, to me, it just came across as absolute filth. Maybe it's just me. So you've got to get your mind out that Dominic Diamond gasser. No, I like it here. It's safe and warm. Well, we're there next week, so don't worry yourself too much. But... That was 
Ultimate Gamer, the last edition of 2003. Luke, you already, we were already both quite high on it, but what did you think? I just, I really kind of dug it. I dug it as a format. Maybe I've got a bit of love for it because of my job and the sort of style of presenting that I, I've done for the last, you know, near decade. And it just sort of made me feel very warm. Uh, to that because you know this is someone who was doing it in sort of like you know the early aughts and it's the sort of show that we probably would have made uh, if, if we'd have been commissioned by sci-fi to, to make a video game show we'd have done the exact same thing because that's the setup that we had so it kind of made me feel a bit warm and fuzzy towards it you know because especially now because i'm not doing any green screen stuff uh but i also like that it was a traveling show at least in this you know clip show version that we've got here where they were showing some old stuff so I like the fact that it went to LA. I like the fact they went to Paris. I like the fact they went to E3. I like that traveling aspect of it. The show felt big. And and yeah, I, I kind of dug it. I dug the Emily on it. I dug Al on it. This, this gets a thumbs up from me. I, re- I agree with all those, the underground comments that were being left on, on um, digital spy forums in, in 2003. This is the one. This is better than Gamepad and it's better than Gamesville. I, yeah, I absolutely 100% agree. This is not just a bunch of recycled EPKs and a voiceover. This is not trying to be incredibly cool and youthful. This is a show that is out there doing a job. And whilst I'm sure if we were watching it week after week after week, if we were giving it the same treatment we gave Games Master, we would probably find it a bit dry after a while. Yeah. But just as an individual to watch more of these... I would love to have them because being the, the being that the focus is primarily, uh, certainly with this last episode, on news and games and features and visiting developers and doing actual, like, proper reporting, I would love more of that. Yeah, I want to hear more Emily reviews. Certainly, whether positive or negative, if they're reviews that have the same amount of passion and interest as that Prince of Persia review. I mean, we've seen a bit of growth here from Emily because we saw her in bits when we were covering that post-Games Master. She's a better presenter here than she was there. Really, really like that as well because it's good to see... You know, it's, it's funny enough actually watching a clip of Dominic Diamond in, in Series 1. And you know, like he talks about in the, the oral history, he doesn't recognise that young kid. I rewatched those clips. Like I don't recognise him either. His uh, his presenting style evolved drastically. I mean, even just between series two and series four. Yeah, hugely so. But yeah, no, I, I really enjoyed it. What say you? I also really, really enjoyed this. I wish we had more of this to see. I wish it had gone longer. Yeah. Because if we had more of it, and it had gone longer, we could have stopped off a couple more times on our way to the Games Master reboot. We could have checked in in two thousand and five, two thousand and six. You know, it could have, it could have been our well, what happened in the year episode. Yeah, I, I, I could get on board with that. But that's going to wrap it up for this episode of the show. Uh, next week, we are returning to the comforting and warming arms of Mr. Dominic Diamond and Mr. Johnny Finch. They're reuniting, they're doing games again, but this time, the games are attacking back. I've been excited to get to that episode, but now we're actually there... I'm kind of like, oh man, we're getting closer to episode 200, Luke. It's it's really funny because I was also, you know, when we first had this plan of doing the, the you know, aftermath of Games Master things, we were only going to do a handful of things. We were going to do like bits, thumb bandits, 
gamepad when games attack and then get into the reboot but we've sort of been adding more and more as we go along and the more the closer we're getting to when games attack and seeing the comments that when games attack era dominic diamond made about gamesville makes me go like uh-oh i've got a real worry that this is going to be a show that has aged like fine milk yes but that will be in episode 187 and uh yeah it, it, that countdown is ticking luke that we countdown are, is we ticking. Are amazingly quite close to our little 200 mark that we are looking to get to but that's going to do it for this episode of the show thank you all so much for listening you all rule you can find us on social media at under console pod on twitter and at under console on instagram and you can send us an email to feedback at under and if you want to chat with us in real time chat with other listeners other fans of gaming and pop culture retro and new you can do so over on our discord details of which can be found in the show notes and you can support this podcast monetarily over at patreon.com forward slash under console pod to get access to our monthly community show under console nation and at the five pound level you will get next week's episode one week early and ad free and a shout out to those 10 pound backers adam d adam warrington alexis andrew andy arcadia wild bill chris price chrissy two sticks colin david palmer david white gordon aiken gordon brands gordon dempster harriet mangigal i am cheadle ian roberts ian williams jamie smith joe mcgonagall joe mitchell kevin kylie lawrence link mark matty boom misha nick phil retro fun for everyone reese rich pemberton richard downer richard major sean selena simon super sexy dave fisher the amazing cliff Tom Dylan McEvoy, Tom S. William Cottingham, Xanderthal, and Zach. We will see you in seven days' time for When Games Attack. Take care, everyone. Good night. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.